One of my jobs with InterVarsity Campus Ministry is to help students connect their faith to the world, and so you're often plunged into cross-cultural settings. And the staff and students who lead these intercultural connections, one of the first things you discover is that different communities have a different hierarchy of cultural values. So for many uh, Americans, one of the highest cultural values for us is a task orientation, like we like to get stuff done. That is not always the first value in working with other cultures. They have often what is called a uh, relational orientation. It is true. And so when you send a leader who's task-oriented to set up a project with a community that's relationally oriented, there's often these tensions. So, you know, we want to, like, hey, we've got an idea, we've connected with this community in Latin America or someplace, We'd like to bring students to get some things done, work with your students. Well, often the receiving, uh, maybe relationally oriented communities, like we also value hospitality, so we're going to say yes. But this isn't the first question we're asking. They're very interested in this sort of kind of getting stuff done. Well, yes, why don't you come over? We'll get our students together. They can hang out together. Yeah, hang out and get some stuff done. So, uh, yeah, let's come over and hang out in order to plan to get some stuff done and find there's just lots of hangout time and little getting stuff done time. It's not that uh, people from a task-oriented culture don't value relationships or don't have a relational value. It's just that it's down the list of values. It's like getting stuff done is a higher priority than hanging out, relating, and building relationships. And that's not true in probably most of the world outside the West. It's about just hanging out. And um, one of my colleagues went to Latin America, Latin American gathering, and asked, is there something I can teach? Is there a way I can serve? Is there something I can do? No, we want you just to observe and hang out. My friend went back to the same gathering four times over the years before he was invited to do something. They wanted a relational foundation upon which to discover and build. Oh, maybe Kurt has some things to offer here. But it was years of building relationship before the getting stuff done happens. And I... I wonder if God has a different hierarchy of values than we do in terms of ways that we order uh, things that we value. I'd like to suggest in this exploration of trials and temptations that God is more interested in your character than your comfort. That God's value, it's not that you don't value character or that God doesn't value comfort. God values your comfort. God just values your character more. (laughs) And so when we have this sort of cross-cultural encounter with God, where God's value is with your character, 
but your hierarchy of values puts your comfort perhaps a little higher, there can be this sort of cosmic cross-cultural misunderstanding. God is more interested in your healing than your feeling, more interested in your character than your comfort. That's the crux of the message. You can nod off now for the rest of the message. That's sort of the that's sort of it. Trials and temptations are incredible character forming experiences. And our mindset of we need to get out of this trial and I need to get away from this temptation may be a wrong way of approaching trials and temptations. Let's look at James chapter 1. Yes, we are still in James chapter 1. We will be next week as well. (laughs) Temptation is to rush on to chapter 2, but we are in trials and temptations. And the, the beatitude formula that James's big brother Jesus used, he copies here. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I'd like to think that we experience, at least I experience trials in kind of three forms. Circumstantial trials, trials of my own making, and trials that the world or other people's sin or evil foists upon me. Sort of the world, the flesh, and the devil. You get that sort of uh, feel with these different kinds of trials, circumstantial trials. C.S. Lewis likes to use the phrase, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. They're just realities of living in this broken world with these bodies that bring about trials. It's kind of no one's fault, although we like to place blame. Sometimes we experience trials just because we're living in a broken world with broken bodies. Um, I got, a year and a half ago, I got really sick in Mexico City or actually just at the end and coming home. And it has been a really long time since I've gotten ill overseas. I feel like I've got this iron constitution. I've collected the bacteria of dozens of countries. and They reside here in my stomach. So it was a surprise to be beset with like two weeks of severe diarrhea. I'm sorry to use that word here in this holy space, but like it was it was a trial. I mean, um, and so immediately as a Christian, I'm praying for healing. Like I know God heals and I know this is not supposed to be and therefore I'm going to pray for healing. And it didn't happen and it didn't happen and it didn't happen. And it was like... Um, This is testing my perseverance, even my faith. Am I going to hold on to this conviction that God heals, even when I'm not healed, that God sees me, that God cares? That was my invitation during those couple of weeks. 
sometimes circumstances, it's nobody's fault, okay? The people in Mexico City have a different mix. And like, that's just it. I didn't have that right mix. But there were um, moments that I despaired of God's goodness. And where I had to lean in this particular trial is, okay, God's not healing me, at least not right away. Really uncomfortable, not able to go to work. Can I embrace that Isaiah uh, 43, I will be with you. Like that's the promise. Not I will take you out of the fire or the water, but I'll be with you in it. Are there ways that I can lean into that? I think that was God's invitation in that particular circumstantial trial. God is near when you go through trials. Is it okay to satisfy yourself with the fact that God is near me? Is that where I can locate my attention versus why aren't you healing me right away? Can I still appreciate that you're a God who heals when I'm not being healed, at least not on the time frame that I want to be? That little trial was character forming. It's okay when you go through circumstantial trials that are really no one's fault. They're the trials of your own making, right? Break any of the Ten Commandments, there will be problems with you or around you, you know, lying and adultery and murder, like Sometimes we make our own trials and you suffer as a result. But um, the invitation to character in a trial of your own making is repentance. Repentance is so challenging. The verse in 2 Corinthians 7 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Maybe you're experiencing a trial of your own making, either through out-and-out sin or stupidity, like you're just suffering because you've participated in your own suffering or trial. Admitting you're wrong um, out loud, that's hard. Um, the The character building formula here's a key when you recognize you've done something wrong particularly as it's affected others maybe you're suffering uh relationally because you've made a mistake and that mistake has impacted someone else and they are upset or distancing themselves from you here's the character invitation i'm sorry for it's important you describe what you did wrong. Um, not the, I'm sorry you were hurt by, like that's, that's not the apology, that's the other person's fault. Like, I'm sorry for doing this, I realize it had this impact, will you forgive me? That's way harder than, I see you're hurt, I'm sorry identifying what you did wrong to the other person, asking for their forgiveness, that builds character. That's hard to do. 
That is a form of suffering. And then there are the trials because of sins committed against you or the existence of evil in this world, right? The world, circumstantial, sons of Adam, daughters of Eve, the flesh, trials because of sins or mistakes of your own making, and then the devil. Uh, we have uh, Diana Hovey uh, last week or two weeks ago talked about their property being encroached on and a neighbor who's kind of moved the boundary stone. We've got one of those situations. That's hard because like you live next door to someone who's like um, m making a mistake, taking some of your property. And how do you respond when it's someone else's junk that's creating pain for you? How do you remain in relationship to someone who sinned against you? There's an invitation there. Um, I think about systemic evil. I'm reading this month in Black History Month, Uncle Tom's Cabin. You really plunged into the systemic evil of slavery, written from a perspective in the 1850s, where both abolitionists, Quakers, and slaveholders in, in this story, they're all Christian. Like they all are trying to follow Jesus, and they all have their rationales for their positions. It's just painful to see how sly and systemic this evil uh, America's original sin is sometimes described as the how we understand slavery uh, it, it, you know after effects are with us today so like seeing the systemic evil is just hard uh, and as someone who travels a bit seeing the um, evil of colonization how that's mapped out for the last couple centuries but what I've noted in those communities that have experienced the systemic evil of colonization or of slavery. With uh, believers, there's a quality to the faith that's I just feels so rich and mature. This, when, when you have very little agency and sin is being perpetrated against you, that kind of refinement and fire produces a really um, deep faith and I think Christians in circumstances where uh, Christianity is outlawed or in a very you know it, where where physical persecution prison or even death like the quality of faith that I've encountered with people who've suffered systemic evil has a strange beauty to it and a maturity and a depth those are things that create character um, May it be so. yeah so the world of flesh and devil and I know I've um, in my cultural values of having clean lines between you know circumstance and sin and uh, like usually there's a bleeding of multiples of those but it helps me if I understand okay there are trials because of circumstance or trials because of my own idiocy or sin in their trials because people sin against me or because of evil. 
the early church that James is writing to saw trials as normative, not as unusual. In fact, you know, Jesus, uh, in this world, what? You will have trouble. It should not surprise you. Um, Paul in 1 Thessalonians, he's like, we're destined for trial. It's a consequence of living in allegiance to a counter kingdom within the empires, uh, within the principalities and powers and empires of men and women. Like, this should not surprise you. We're destined for trials because of this misalignment between the kingdom that we're bringing, living in, trying to obey, and the one that's occupying this world. Uh, Peter, about salvation, he says, in this you rejoice, even if for now, for a little while, you have had to suffer various trials. There's still this joy of being in relationship to Jesus, understanding that you've been delivered, saved, healed, even though you're going through many trials. Um, people in places where Christianity is not embraced expect trials. Like, that's just not unusual. And I wonder... Peter again, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Trials don't have to steal your joy. Um, but it shouldn't surprise you. Whether it's circumstance or whether it's a trial of your own making or whether someone else has foisted their woundedness or evil and has made life miserable. I don't think that's unusual. And if we're able to accept the normative nature of trials, especially as believers living in and under principalities and powers that don't bow to Jesus, I think that will help us in experiencing trials Trials and temptations. There's a relationship there. Because trials tempt us in a variety of ways, like to get out of us, and temptations try us. So I see James bringing these two things together. Reading on, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Just because God produces fruit out of our trials and temptations... Even though it develops our character, it does not mean that God is the source of temptation or trials for that matter. Like, oh, God's just wanting me to grow this 
resistance to temptation, so he's putting these temptations out there. Or God's wanting to grow my character, so he's putting me through this trial. I'm not sure that that equation works completely. So God doesn't tempt or try us, but in my sickness, coming out of Mexico City, I was tempted to succumb to anxieties about food when going back there. I wanted to bring my own food and filtered water. So like, did I get sick because of the place I was staying, which I always stay, the Casa de los Amigos, Quaker guest house, was, were they not as diligent with their filter? And so this invitation was, I'm going to drink gallons because it's 7,000 feet. You know, you get, I'm going to drink gallons of their water. My temptation was, I want to get bottled water. I want to sort of, I don't want to eat the food. I want to be super uh, OCD about the, Those were my temptations out of that trial. And leaning into, I'm going to experience this without, I, it was a little bit, and not to diminish PTSD, but it was a little bit like I had a trauma. And I found myself reacting to that trauma and wanting to withdraw and wanting to step away and wanting to offend my hosts by refusing stuff. It was actually surprisingly difficult for me to eat whatever was set before me, to drink the water in the casa. Thankfully, the, uh, I've been there two or three times since and haven't experienced that kind of sickness. But there is that... Uh, lingering thought in the back of my mind when I'm sitting before a great enchilada de mole and it's got shredded lettuce. Okay, was that, how was that washed? And like, you know, just stop. Just become present. I mean, there's, you know, I did stop brushing my teeth with the water. Like there was some a few minor adjustments that I made that I think were probably uh, wisdom, but there's also this sort of continuing on and being dragged into just completely withdrawing from the food and water prepared by my hosts. Those were character-building, circumstantial temptations that came out of the trial of a couple of years ago. Um, the desire part of this passage. Um, you know, desires get inflated. They grow out of proportion. They start in this kind of mild place of, uh, you know, I want to engage this way in which my natural desires mean to be satisfied and then all of a sudden they get out of proportion if you're not vigilant. Um, and James here uh, personifies desire, like makes it this person that gets you pregnant. And then this embryo, you know, becomes sin. And then you deliver sin after nine months of nurturing this desire, that desire grows up and kills you. Just this interesting 
um, an almost poetic way. In fact, I think if James were a musician, he would make a song about desire, personified. Hit it. I said, hit it. job of personifying desire and singing to desire. Uh, I don't know if you've read Bono's autobiography, uh, Surrender. Fascinating 
work where, you know, his life trajectory in The Edge, who was a neighbor, uh, good friends growing up in uh, Ireland, and they were really brought into the faith community at the end of the, um, of the Jesus movement with, lo and behold, a little non-denominational charismatic church, just like this one, and so radicalized in their faith. Uh, through this little charismatic church at the end of the Jesus People movement, really struggled as the band began to get notoriety and seriously considered breaking it up because of the temptations of ego that would come and would interrupt their spiritual lives, which they valued over their music. And so wrestling through that and their own faith journeys show up in this book called Surrender by Bono. And so anyway, they, they have this kind of um, spiritual view of life and things like desire, and they create this music around these tensions that they feel. And the, the thing about Bono and you uh, two, super transparent and honest about their failings and their struggles and so forth. And so I, I find this, as I look at James personifying desires, that thing that impregnates you and you give birth to sin and that grows up and kills you, I see that in his message here. Probably one of the hardest things to, you know, as parents, you do your best, but you make mistakes. And like out of your ego or various other desires uh, or your own brokenness, like you mess up. And um, confessing those things to my adult kids has been one of the hardest things I've had to do in terms of just like, um, you know, dad, in counseling, this stuff is coming up. That's like, oh, yeah, you know. That wasn't right. I'm sorry for X. Will you forgive me? Like just, ah, that's just, I'd rather not have to confess specifically, especially to your kids because you have sacrificed like more than any other person. You've, you've put it all out for your kids and then retrospectively you recognize you made some mistakes and it's hurt them. And they bring it up. And like, that's character building for me. Like that's, that forms a kind of humility that I don't find comes in any other way. And so we live in this culture of consumerism and desire that we heard Bono singing about. Um, there are systems in this world that incentivize exploitation of people in the environment. Like it just um, works to enrich others through exploitation. Just the, how the systems of this world work, how not to participate in those, like that's a trial, that's a temptation. I'm tempted to benefit from the exploitation of people 
or the environment, especially tempted to benefit ex, uh, economically. And I'm constantly barraged, as you are, with an invitation to consumerism or any other desire, like anything that you can covet will be appealed to before this day is out. Uh, you will encounter this invitation. Say, I don't know, you're watching a show tonight on TV, uh, you know, competition of some sort. <laughs> there will be very clever commercials where a lot of money has been paid in order to entice you. <laughs> like, specifically trying to inflame desire in you for a particular thing that's going to benefit someone else more than it's going to benefit you. That's just the world we live in. How are we going to encounter those desires, those enticements, those invitations to covet? Even if you don't succumb to it, you will find yourself, perhaps, tonight, coveting wishing you had something that you didn't have, which you've been perfectly fine not having, but all of a sudden, you're going to feel like, I really want that thing. Desire, temptation, the trial of being tempted, the uh, temptation that leads to a trial. Those are things that we're bathed in and we're baited to join in the systems and structures of this world. And to resist may bring rejection, may bring ridicule. How are you going to face the trials and temptations that you're going to encounter before this day ends? Are you going to view them as gifts? Verses 16 through 18. Don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. We start with trials, move into temptations, and then like... These are opportunities. These are gifts. That's how I'm tying these seemingly disparate passages together. Trials bring temptations or tempt you, and temptations bring trials for you. Really, these are gifts or invitations to maturity. And like you, there is a fruitfulness that can come out of trials and temptations. How are you going to um, arrange your hierarchy of values? Are you going to value your character enough to weather trials and temptations? Are you going to value your character enough to repent? Are you going to value your character enough to withstand a trial, though it seems to drag on and God doesn't seem to be answering prayer. You're going to stand against the principalities and powers, which are hard to do when they entice you with those invitations. How are you going to place your maturity above your comfort? 
That's the question I'm inviting you to consider in those times when it's like, really, God, this person doing this thing to me, me living in systems of evil that are making life hard for me, ways that I've kind of made life hard for myself, or just being a son of Adam, daughter of Eve. Like, can't you just take me out of this? And the question is, how much do you value your maturity or your character over your comfort? How much do you want to embrace a form of healing that can come through this endurance or saying no to this thing that you really want? Those of you who have your frontal lobes developed can delay gratification. Can you say yes to character and maturity over your comfort? May require clinging to God in ways that are uncomfortable. It may require you inviting others to journey with you. But I believe that's the word that James has for us today. Super Bowl Sunday, on the eve of Lent and Ash Wednesday. How are we going to allow trials, hardship, fallibility um, to form us? Let me pray for us, then I'll invite Susan up to give some announcements. Uh, God, I think you made me an Enneagram 9 that just wants to have everything come easy, wants to avoid pain. I'm not sure why you expect me to rise above my own personality of convenience and comfort, but you do. So I'm going to need your help. You know how I love convenience. The easy way is hard enough. Can I just have a pill that and not have to worry about eating right and exercising? Like, you know that's how I'm wired. And yet you invite me into the hard things. Do you give me a different love or value of the hard things? Appreciation of the hard things. And though it's a little scary to pray, would you make me mature? Would you build my character? Amen.